Hi Pot fans, swagat here and obviously as you can hear from my voice, uh, I am a bit under the weather which is why I apologize in advance for the uh, horrible sounding version of me that you will hear on the episode and uh, onward with the pod. On tonight's episode, Liverpool win against City as Arsenal win the power play at Leeds, Chelsea and Spurs win ugly as Mbappe says he doesn't want to be a number 9, this is the Talkitaka podcast. Hello, hello, good evening and welcome. This man has been asking to record this episode ever since Sunday night. Radhaji, I wonder why that is. Yeah, um, multiple talking moments of the week all coming from the same game. I think the one that I will go with finally, well, I'll go with two as a cheat code for the amazing result. I'll go with two. The first one is uh, the goal, of course. It's not just the goal. It's I don't know whether you guys have seen the video of uh, the the long the zoomed out video of Pep Guardiola as the goal is happening so the ball uh, comes in from Allison and as soon as Salah turns Cancelo Pep Guardiola just falls onto the floor turns uh, away from the football with his hand with the head pointing downwards this is in mid the ball is still in midfield and Salah is just starting to run but Guardiola is already on his knees given up that was amazing that's definitely the talkie moment for me uh, moment number two was, of course, the brilliant Klopp, come here, come here, come here, and then the middle finger uh, to the ref. That was pretty amazing as well. So, yeah, two great moments from the game. Yeah, so all that jinxing of Cancelo finally worked in your favour. Ab, what's your talking moment of the episode? I think for me, uh, it has to be Kepa's point-blank save from Danny Ings' header. That I honestly think, think he had that in him anymore. He would probably talk about him a little later. But that was brilliant. That was my moment of the week. Yeah. And to the United boys, RK. Yeah, I think Raza took away my talking moment of the week, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, the moment when Klopp is calling the ref over to him was very, uh, absolutely hilarious. Yeah, maybe Radha took this one because it was reminiscent of The Rock asking to bring it. Ashwin, uh, finally, what's what's it going to be for you? I, th- I think we have talked about City, uh, Liverpool quite a bit. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go with Arsenal and uh, and the Arsenal, the Mikel Arteta machine keeps on running. Four points clear now. Uh, can this be the biggest up- upset since uh, since Leicester City winning the Premier League? For me, it would be the funniest social media beef between two clubs this season: the Forest and Wolves battle about play time and play time being over that is that is pretty hilarious the banter level as ratha said on the group this season has been quite amazing long may it continue so let's begin at uh, anfield obviously i think we have to talk about the most prolific uh, goalkeeper of the premier league era he's been here four seasons and he's had three assists and one goal. Alison, Radha, why don't you start us off? You had the most pessimistic of uh, predictions for this one. Yeah, so I, all three assists, if I'm not wrong, came to Salah. He has this knack of finding more on the run uh, every time. Um, but anyway, so yeah, coming to the game, yeah, I, I predicted a 2-3 loss um, last episode. When I saw the team, I, I can't lie, when I saw Milner was going to be playing against Foden, uh, I changed my prediction to a 2-5 loss um, and I have to say I was completely floored by the change in performance. Um, 
everything changed in this game versus all the games that we've seen in the past uh, it doesn't feel like a fluke because there was an actual tactical plan we kept it simple for the first 30 first 40 minutes where we well first 30 minutes at least where we weren't uh, letting the runners on the on the wings get uh, a head start and run we were very tight on haland so the few times that he did get the ball joe gomez was right on him and uh, we weren't letting him uh, settle into the game and the best part was kevin de bruyne was not finding the ball hit the spaces that he was trying to find that changed around the 35 minute mark where he again started dominating the game but till then we had kept him quiet so if you keep kdb quiet you keep haland quiet so i thought defensively it was a really good um, good start the the two great chances were of course haland's headers um, that uh, that i think alisson's positioning was still pretty good and shouldn't it would have been a pretty good header to uh, beat the keeper from there so uh, overall very good game from a defensive point of view i'm going to use a jose marinho quote here what liverpool they weren't controlling the game but they were in control of the game you could see that they definitely had a game plan um it it was very much on the counter even the goal uh that that sala scored was on the back of a cancelo mistake if i mean well a miscontrol at least um i i, I agree with rada um joe gomez had an absolute absolute blinder of a game and i, I feel that virgil van dijk did all the invisible stuff that you don't necessarily get noticed uh, about he was like a rock he did he, i think joe gomez looked good because van dijk had a really good game as well and um, and fabinho i think fabinho has had a, had a, had an excellent game um sala de- definitely seems to be back uh, he seems to be back in red hot form after that hat trick against uh, rangers was it um i think uh, i think this is the this is the time for retribution for all the all the uh, trolls that he has been uh, 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 you know party to at least on social media. yeah a couple of quick things i noticed about this game one is i feel that um, you know coming into the game it was i don't think there were too many people who were predicting a liverpool win and uh, you know people are off, also often predicting these drastic uh, city score lines right 4 2 5 you know the liverpool fans among us so i think that kind of helped liverpool uh, and i don't know if that was a mood obviously within the camp but as the game progressed and it stayed nil nil 60 minutes 65 minutes how long it took uh, city became a little little more casual uh, they became a little more desperate to try and score uh, and that helped liverpool i think that showed in that uh, you know i think cancelo made three or four mistakes after the 65th minute mark right one of them led to a goal so i think uh, the fact that uh, city were expected to win comfortably kind of helped liverpool and uh, i think to that extent liverpool also played a i think they played a much more sensible and using the word sensible in quotes here uh, type of football than the one they normally do i think they were i think they their intent was to stay in the game try and not lose control not get out of shape and then attack when they could and then you know they forced an error out of cancelo and there's no way sala was going to miss that so i think it was a very very sensible game from liverpool and they just sort of sort of waited for city to lose a bit of steam and make a mistake yeah and, and yeah perhaps it is it is of course you have to call that a cancelo mistake but you have to I, i mean this guy does it a lot he turns defenders he's really tiny but he is a really really strong uh, strong guy mosala so he's i i i remember he's turned the likes of um, koulibaly 
Maguire, even the really, really big center backs, he can hold them off with one hand and uh, he, he has some incredible strength about him. I'm sure that played a part in the goal as well. I have to uh, I have to hold my hand up and say that Milner had a fantastic game. Uh, I was expecting him to get roasted. He, in fact, did get roasted last season against Foden. Foden really ate him for breakfast that day. Um, but he was tight on him. He made sure that any aerial ball, Foden knew that there was a game happening, very physical. Um, I think they lost a the trick as well where they were not getting the uh, head starts in running at uh, Milner. Uh, so, Radha, do you think the result of the game would have been different if Alexander Arnold had started instead of Milner? I still think that, see, Milner played well uh, and I'm very happy and thankful for that. But if he have to get into more games with Milner starting, I think that's just really, really worrying. Uh, Trent, the main problem is uh, the physicality. Um, uh, so, he can't really keep up with a lot of players and Trent, I think, at least pace-wise, would be, would have been able to cope better with the likes of uh, Foden. Um, yeah, hard to say. But on the other hand, I think we would have had a lot more switches of play going into uh, Jota as well if Trent was in uh, in the game. So, you never know. There's always that uh, mix and match thing with Trent. There seems to be a mix and match thing with Darwin Nunes as well. Like, uh, I mean, his decision-making is absolutely... Absolutely terrible, and I know rather you don't particularly agree with me on this, but like uh, he was he was subject to a lot of trolls, and I I feel rightly so. Like some of the decisions that I mean, on three on one chance that he had, especially at the uh, at the at the last moment, was uh, it was just absolutely horrendous. I've seen Tony Marshall uh, make better decisions than that. Yeah, I don't think anybody's uh, uh, pointing out that three-on-one chance and saying and trying to defend Darwin. Absolutely deserved to get panned for that. But overall, I find it laughable that people are still having a go at him. He's been probably after Diaz and before Diaz's injury, he's been the second best player that Liverpool have had for the last three or four games. So, uh, everything about him has been positive. And in fact, I've been calling out on the podcast that that's one of the few positives in our play in the last few weeks. Uh, yeah, but that that was an absolute uh, let let me say a 2019 Mo Salah moment where uh, he thinks that, that with three people in front of him and uh, another guy free, he has he still has a better chance of scoring. That was like uh, not nice, and I hope he gets over it really quickly. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the uh, Nunes trolls are people you know United fans only who who are pretty grumpy from June onwards. But have uh, you know moving on to City, uh, just a few things about them. I was. Uh, I had mentioned it on our group during the first half as well. Uh, I was very surprised by the shape they took, especially uh, KDB on the fringes of the game and Cancelo on the right uh, after Walker's injury. That is an enforced change, but that has not really brought out the best in him. He was at his natural best, cutting in from the left, and he did a lot of crazy stuff there. So I think the whole combination uh, from Man City on the right never worked for them, uh, which I think... Uh, was pretty obvious uh, from a tactical point of view and they could never uh, and they never tried to change that was more surprising they had Sergio Gomez on the bench where they could have you know brought in uh, at least uh, you know uh, uh, like moved from the three at the back the whole game they made only one sub they could have brought in Riyad Mahrez who I think has seen surprisingly or unsurprisingly less game time you know uh, being outwitted tactically and still making only one sub i think pep lost this game tactically obviously the team that benefited the most 
from uh, the Liverpool win and the City loss was Arsenal. Uh, it was a very funny game that uh, Arsenal had with Leeds because of the power cut in the beginning where they weren't able to uh, get hold of VAR, which for all its faults and all its criticisms that we've had, uh, played a quite a vital role in that game. So when the power initially went off, people on Twitter were like, yeah, you know what, I mean, just don't bother with it. Just, just, just go ahead. But uh, good thing that they waited because that had a key impact on the ending of the game as well with uh, Gabriel's red card. And RK, you've you've called him out last week uh, that Gabriel seems to be turning into a potential liability in terms of his decision making. I mean, he survived this one, but do you think it's it's coming closer? I think I think it tried to kick him. He didn't end up kicking him. Luckily for him, but it could have been a potential red, although uh, that would never have been a penalty. I was happy that it was chalked off. Arsenal were very, very lucky to get out of the game with three points. Uh, it was a game where, after a long time, I have to say, where they were pretty, uh, you know, uh, like second best by far. Yeah, but you have to grind out these kind of wins as well. So it's good for them. I think the Arsenal of last season would have lost this one. Um, the, the one thing that I, I, we have been talking about in the pod quite quite often about Arsenal is uh, their strength, their determination, their grit. Uh, they they I mean uh, we have, like RK and I have followed uh, United for a long time and like it's not always that United used to play well but they used to grind out the results and and I think that's what that's what Arsenal have been doing lately. Um, one thing I want to mention about Leeds is that Leeds do tend to play really well against the so-called big teams. I think they had a really good game against Chelsea as well. Uh, it was the three points that Arsenal needed, and and they got it in a very tough uh, against a very tough team in Leeds. Yeah, and Jesse Marsh seems to be. I mean, it's probably easier for him to g them up uh, when it comes to bigger teams like uh, beating Chelsea three 0 and 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 giving Arsenal quite a terrible time. This part, I just want to finish on uh, Ivan Tony. He's scored a double for Brentford uh, this weekend. And uh, he's making quite a claim for uh, a ticket to Qatar. And one that's paid for, unlike uh, what Ashwin's got to go through. So, what do you guys think? Do you think that he has a chance of being the second striker for uh, England? No, I, I do. I, I think uh, he, despite his 5'11 stature or 5'10 stature, he is... A different kind of striker to a lot of the other English strikers, so I think he does bring in that a little bit of that physicality aspect that that generally tends to get uh, space on a lot of uh, cup teams, um, just as another option. And if he continues the scoring record in a team that's actually not doing too well, um, um, he's third top scorer right now and uh, just one goal behind Kane. Uh, let's call it second top scorer. Let's just write off Haaland. So, second top scorer, just one behind Kane. I think uh, it's a really good numbers. It's early in the season. But if he can keep this up for the for the next five Premier League games, I think definitely he's uh, in with a really good shout to go into go, go in the squad, I think. Yeah, I think uh, t- uh, Tony is one of those um, uh, strikers who came from the championship with a lot of, uh, with a lot of hearsay and a, a lot of uh, fanfare. Uh, if I can add that, um, he had a decent first season, and now the people are finding out how good he really is. Having said that, I think next game he will blank out just because I've jinxed him. I'm definitely on the Tony to United bandwagon. I think he's he's the kind of striker that Man United need. 
uh, and I know I'm bringing up Man United out of, out of nowhere again up, but like I think it's def- he's definitely he's definitely the striker that we need and we don't have. I uh, you know I just love strikers who sniff out space in the box. I loved the way he took his uh, like the first goal. Other than the fact that it was a great back heel, uh, the way that you know he uh, tried he fainted to go one way and then made the near post run, holding off uh, the guy who was marking him. I, I love those kind of runs. Uh, and even Tony in his game typifies, uh, you know, that kind of moment. Uh, definitely a very dangerous striker. So, who are the other strikers? Uh, so, you have Bamford, uh, who's not doing well. Yeah. I mean, if you were talking to, about this last season, then obviously, uh, yeah, Tammy is in with a shout, but I think he's suffering from not being in the Premier League. So, not in the thick of things. Mm. I think also I read I read that he's not having the best season in terms of numbers because of a tactical shift that Jose has employed. I read an article about that. I haven't watched much much of them, so I don't know. But uh, if Tammy is the number two option that we're, I think uh, Tony's in with a very good chance. Southgate might also use um, <clears throat> someone like Callum Wilson there. Uh, he's, I think he's he's a good he's a good backup option, or even Rashford for that matter. Anyone who gets Player of the Month over Haaland deserves to be in that squad. No, anyone who gets uh, Player of the Month above Haaland needs to be the number nine. <laughs> so Kane can go back to the bench <laughs> and sit there. We'll uh, probably do an England squad who should go and who should stay uh, in one of the upcoming episodes. But uh, for now, I think uh, we'll close part one here. And when part two starts, we'll talk about some golden balls. Welcome back. In part two, we're starting off with uh, the Ballon d'Or uh, wins that happened yesterday and Karim Benzema. Deservedly, I think we've not had much debate about this. Uh, everyone seems to agree that uh, Benzema deserved it this season, not just for the number of goals that he scored, but for the importance of the goals and what he's won as uh, as a team member as well. So, he's finally had his moment in the sun. And uh, Putelas won the women's Ballon d'Or with uh, some Premier League representation in terms of uh, Beth Mead and Sam Kerr so, on the podium. So, so that was something good for uh, the Women's Super League as well. And uh, building on what Benzema did yesterday and I mean Zidane calling out his name and Benzema going to get the award it seemed very homely and Madrid like feeling which probably works well with the fact that we had the El Clasico this weekend and Real uh, ran out uh, comfortable winners despite an alarming stat that uh, Radha found. Yeah I mean the alarming stat for me was just the fact that apparently Barcelona had uh, higher XG than Real. I didn't get that impression at all in the game um, while watching the game. I think in the first half it was all Real. It was a lot of um, uh, like a lot of control, and the more attack attacking chances seemed to come Real's way. I have Vinicius, ah, that, that guy is just unplayable on, on most days. Um, when he gets a head start on you, it's just the the race is done. So I think that's how the first goal got created. Uh, perfectly timed run, um, a great, great ball through, and Vinicius just made up like so much space between him and the defender. 
and uh, uh, took a i think it ended up becoming a scrappy goal which of course benzema was there to finish um, then i think benzema also had a really nice goal ruled out for offside it was the right decision but uh, superb finish left foot outside the box so i felt like all the action was happening real's way but yeah it was a great um, goal that barcelona scored to make it 2-1 um, i the most impressive person from barcelona for me was ansu fati and i couldn't uh, understand why he wasn't in the game he has that x factor that spark that i don't think uh, the likes of rafinha and uh, the the midfield that barcelona has i don't think they have any of that uh, real x factor so uh, somebody like anzu can um, help uh, lewandowski uh, with a little bit of the burden i feel lewandowski missed a glorious chance i think a tap in opportunity where he, which he skied so there are a couple of occasions now when the biggest stage uh, lewandowski has come up short in the champions league and in the el clasico as well so that's a little concerning but um, all in all i think deserved win for real it was a good watch it's the first el clasico that i'm watching in a while actually it was quite quite fun yeah i agree with radha on leva uh, on those two games where he's flopped but i think that was anyway going to be ruled out for offside uh, barca i thought in general uh, like we were talking about barca having considered only one goal and how they seemed so vulnerable against inter uh, but i think they kind of backed us up in yesterday's game they still they look very vulnerable on transitions there seems to be a lot of space once you break their press uh, and that that is going to be the achilles heel for zavi that he'll have to solve if they want to cross this phase yeah i i don't want to uh, like go past this game without mentioning uh, fede valverde so uh, he um, so ancelotti used him last year last year as a guy who runs a lot on the wings he keeps running up and down that right wing uh, absolutely tireless guy uh, this year i believe ancelotti has also told him that i need 10 goals from you uh, i think ancelotti said something to the effect of valverde doesn't score 10 goals and i'll tear up my coaching license and leave or something like that and uh, he's already scored five goals uh, up until this point his goal uh, in that game was absolutely fantastic it was just an absolute bullet uh so i mean you're talking about a guy who what who who plays ahead of rodrigo and hazard and all right so i think that case is one uh, to keep an eye on yeah somehow i can't uh, fathom uh, the thought of ancelotti tearing up a contract when he continued to sip his tea or coffee or whatever that was while his team was scoring a goal so that's a very contrarian image Up adding Hazard's name at the end was just a very Chelsea thing to do. I thought. I mean, he's obviously the guy who still keeps adding to our transfer kitty. So we're never going to say a bad word about him, are we, Ab? Mm-hmm. Yeah, transfer kitty or otherwise, yeah, he's one of my favorite players. So. It's a dream, right? Like uh, one of your best players uh, leaves uh, leaves for a. European rival underperforms, uh, and you make a lot of money out of it. And, uh, I think the last. payment came when real won the champions league so that clause also got got <laughs> some correct me if i'm wrong yeah. it is 15 or 20 million more 29 million euros is what i heard but uh, but yeah i mean that number may be inflated but <laughs> even if it's double what it is i'll happily take 14 euro 14 million euros yeah absolutely so uh, real obviously won and right now we've got just four teams in europe who are unbeaten domestically as well as in europe which are real psg 
and then we've got two from Serie A, which is Napoli and Atlanta. And we've been talking about Serie A being this open league this season and being the fun league to watch. And obviously, I mean, it's it's proving to be that uh, one league which is proving more fun than usual. But we still fear that it might revert to type is the Bundesliga. And Ashwin is already shaking his head. And uh, Bayern still not top. What's happening? What's happening is that a team that got promoted to the Bundesliga in 2019 is having this season of uh, of, of their lives. Uh, Union Berlin won again and they are four points clear. Uh, so they're pretty much where Arsenal are right now uh, in the Premier League. Uh, it's uh, uh, See, I mean, it, it is we know how strong Bayern are. They're obviously not having a great season uh, by their standards, but uh, the Union Berlin... Uh, machine continues to run and uh, uh, hope that it, this run continues. So I think there have been these kinds of uh, surprising runs in Bundesliga in the first half, particularly first half of the season in the past as well. I remember Leverkusen were uh, really uh, showing a, a title-winning kind of form in the first half of the season. I think that's the time when they had Tony Cruz as well. Um, so that was one. Hoffenheim was, I think, leading the league for a long Leipzig time. Leipzig last um, season. In one of the seasons as well. But at, at the, that's right. So I think there are so many, there are many instances of uh, somebody having the lead. Um, but the, like Thanos says, uh, Bayern Munich will always come back and say, I am in- inevitable. There's no uh, running away from that fact. At the end of the day, everybody will run out of money, energy, uh, enthusiasm perhaps and Bayern will just keep chugging along and win that league so but yeah let's let's hope for a surprise whatever happens at the end of the season it's the farmer who reaps the harvest <laughs> yeah and uh, finally uh, just touching upon uh, France and uh, Kylian Mbappe is not happy and he wants to transfer away from PSG and uh, he's unhappy because he doesn't want to play as a number 9 and he wants to play in the playmaking role as like a number 10, like what Messi and Neymar are doing. Um, I guess it's pretty simple. He just has to take it to the sporting director of the club and probably the owners Oh wait. This is the tapping tapping yourself on the back meme that uh, Mbappe is going to go uh, walk into his own office and request a transfer that he will sign off on. Uh, but honestly, uh, this is becoming embarrassing now. It's, it's I'm getting pretty tired of these dramatic French superstar players who um, are always in the news for the wrong reasons. Um, I'm, I'm, I was glad, I was delighted to see the back of Pogba in the Premier League so that I won't have to live through his drama on a weekly basis. Uh, but Mbappe is becoming a little comic. I never felt that about him in the past. Maybe I wasn't following it too closely. But he seemed like a really um, a coach's player. Like he's, He seemed like a guy who was always working uh, hard at his game and becoming better. Uh, but this is a little too dramatic for me, this prima donna behavior. And this is, <laughs> you can see the France meltdown coming this World Cup. Uh, it's it's all set up for that. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty glad that uh, he didn't end up signing for a top European club. Uh, this is a little bit too much drama. I think it's very obvious what he's doing, right? He's flirting with Real. He wants to, he wants to uh, uh, move to that club like all European players. Uh, talents want to do at some point 
uh, although uh, correct me if i'm wrong i thought like there was some there was some comment coming from his camp saying that there was a misunderstanding and his quotes were taken out of context and like he's committed to psg or um, did i just make that up because i i, I think i read it some and and the sad part is that gaitier seemed to have settled on a, 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 a like on a, on a really convincing combination and after that this this problem comes in I think the major issue for him is I think this is a nice excuse to have oh I don't want to play number 9 so I call bullshit on that uh, I think the main issue is that um, I think he thought he was the king of Paris and uh, uh, Messi and Neymar have come together and their powers combined are now uh, they have a large part of that dressing room on their side and I think uh, uh, Mbappe is not feeling the love Okay that brings us back to the premier league actually i mean uh, talking about uh, the battle for uh, the top 4 chelsea and spurs had uh, some ugly wins this weekend it was surprising to see that spurs are at the same number of points as city and because everyone's been talking about including spurs fans that it's it's so bad it's so bad it's not it's not a good way to play etc etc but they've played uh, they played arsenal they played chelsea Yeah, they've 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 got a decent number of uh, big six battles out of the way as well, so they can build on that too. But it's not looking very nice. But I don't know if I don't know if they would care if as long as they keep getting the points. Yeah, I think Spurs are the best team in the league, and they are going to wall up United tomorrow. Please, not this again. <laughs> this uh, I'm, I'm I'm done with these guys and their jinxes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you said that they've got the top six out of their hair and they can concentrate on the smaller. I think the way Conte setups, it's better suited for him to play the bigger sides, the better sides. Is um, not really convincing in in the games against the smaller sides. I feel. um they're looking like a like there's a lack of idea lack of um, real attacking cohesiveness uh, and it seems to be predictable i think that's the problem uh, from a fan point of view i don't think there will be too much moaning and groaning from spurs fans i i think they will be happy to have uh, an opportunity to be in the top 2 3 of the league regardless of the kind of football that they're playing i don't think they're a club uh what what's the word that uh, jose used uh um the uh, they don't have the tradition or heritage heritage or heritage 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 yeah they don't have heritage i think to worry about uh, style of play and stuff um not not like belittling them but i think they'll be pretty happy to have a manager like conte who can take them to higher ground than perhaps anybody else can yeah i think i think as spurs keep again like arsenal they are grinding out the results it's just that arsenal have been playing much better than spurs so you get to see um, how good arsenal are and you don't don't talk about spurs as much um it's it's what you get with conte right like he he is a serial winner he knows how to win he he does not necessarily care about the style of play um and it's it's uh, it's it's what it's what you get with with uh, with him uh, i know we are going to discuss united later as well but um just one thing the next opponent is not the easiest opponent so i wouldn't i wouldn't really i wouldn't really say that you know uh, conte can grind out results um again and again especially against a side um which would attack so speaking of difficult wins uh, i think chelsea really struggled to get past villa this time so if you win but your keeper is the man of the match then uh, it says something about how well you played uh Potter rotated again, so we 
came back from Milan, Potter rotated again and tried to, you know, of course, in between, we've lost Reese James again for another couple of months and um, he tried to uh, make do with uh, Cucurella and Thiago Silva as the two centre-backs. That was a horrible experiment. Uh, Villa were all over Chelsea. Uh, Kepa was brilliant, kept Chelsea in the game. So it's one of those games where it reminded me of the Brentford game last season where uh, Chelsea won 1 0, but I think the XG was like 3 point something to Brentford and 0.4 or something to Chelsea. So it reminded me of that. Uh, we just barely got passes. This is not sustainable at all. Uh, but Mason Mount, man, Mason Mount was just superb. No, that's I think he's got four assists and three goals or something in his last three or four games. I mentioned the Brentford game deliberately because that's where we play tomorrow. Uh, if he's, everyone just sang high praises of Tony. So I, I expect uh, I expect Chelsea to lose tomorrow. It's these United United boys have just, just spoiled this podcast for everybody. Everybody is covering their ass and doing some jinxing now. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I think I agree with Ab. It was a really lucky result, like perhaps like the Arsenal one, but even more so... Uh, Perhaps because <laughs> I've never seen uh, a keeping display like that from Kepa. Uh, and it was just truly magnificent. Like that save uh, Ab called out, of course, as the uh, I think that's the save of the season so far. I can't believe he got that out and Ings missed from there. Uh, there was, I think, a double or a triple save as well in there somewhere. So, uh, I mean, Kepa was all over the place. Yeah, I, I yeah I recall that uh, piece that the Athletic wrote about when he jumps and the timing of it and all. And he used to have a very very obvious flaw about uh, when you know attacking players used to shoot uh, from just inside or just outside the box. That 18, 19 yard uh, this one and they used to sh- shoot early. He used to be completely unprepared for it. So he has worked on that. But I think more than anything else, keeping is just a confidence game. Right, keeping is like if you are even ten percent short of confidence, I think you become half the goalkeeper that you otherwise can be. So I think um, uh, I think uh, I think he's just got some confidence back. You make a couple of good saves, you have some confidence. You have a run in the team, you have some confidence. You know, I think Lampard shot the confidence out of Kepa completely. Like uh, he used to very publicly criticize him. But uh, I think uh, he's got some love from Tuchel and now from Potter and let's see how long he can keep going. Uh, I do expect that there will be more rotation. I think Mendy will come back, he might have a run and then we might see how that goes. But Yeah, Yeah, and another keeper who's done well was uh, Nick Pope. And he's been good this season and uh, his team had uh, United uh, this week. Yeah, don't recall Nick Pope having to make a great save this week. Uh, Newcastle, I thought, uh, were pretty good in the first half. Uh, it was a very even first half. Uh, uh, and uh, they, uh, like what they were doing was they were clogging the middle of the pitch with their uh, like midfield three. And we were attempting to play through the lines, through the centre, which we kept trying despite it not working out. Uh, Newcastle were then carrying the ball up the pitch and trying to win corners. They were very good at set pieces, especially in that first half. Uh, some of the routines, uh, they kept trying different routines on set pieces. One of uh, their routines, I think in the second half, probably if I'm not wrong, uh, was uh, when 
uh, there was a very flat ball from the corner flag to Almiron who just skied over. I think that was a great chance. But United, uh, who are struggling for control in the first half, uh, I was very impressed with the control which United got in the second. Uh, however, it was a bit of a blunt edge. Uh, we got into a lot of good situations but couldn't end up creating those chances which ended up in XG. We need more from our wingers. Uh, I think they are a bit unidimensional, a bit too predictable, especially Sancho. Yeah, I think I think you can see very clearly that um, uh, United, this team that Eric Ten Hag has forged is not the finished product yet. So, uh, I, I think at the end of the game, Eric Ten Hag mentioned that he he was happy with the intensity, he was happy with the control, he was happy with the pressing, especially towards the end of the game. I did not see that in the first half. Uh, I think this was one of those games where, you know, um, uh, it all came down to the poor refereeing decisions again. Um, uh, I, 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 want, I want only call out the penalty that United did not get, the one that Sancho should have got, in my opinion. I think there was also a foul from Baran on one of the Newcastle players. I can't remember who now. I think that was a penalty as well. Um, and uh, well, Cristiano tried to cheekily get a goal. Uh, I mean, as for the rules of the game, that goal should have stood. Uh, having said that, I know the referee hadn't blown the whistle, uh, but I think Cristiano was just trying to be very yeah. cheeky there. And as uh, Anthony has also said, that next season would be when you actually see the Ten Hag uh, United. So, work in progress. If he stops maybe. being the one-trick pony, Swag. That's when we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on that amazingly interesting note, uh, we'll end part two. And in part three... We have a surprise quiz for the boys. Right, welcome back to part 3. And uh, given the stupendous success that the quiz last week had, uh, we are trying to make this more of a regular feature. This episode, I mean, uh, I was trying to think of what we could do in terms of quizzes. And what I've eventually landed on is football on this day so 18th of october is a momentous day in uh, the history of two clubs so 18th of october 1992 and 18th of october 2005 what happened to two premier league clubs something related to an individual there and the same thing happened um, 13 years across 18th October 92, I can take a bet, uh, is that the transfer of Eric Cantona uh, from Newcastle to United? So, I mean, that's not the quiz question. I'm just uh, trying to tease the listeners here. Uh, 18th of October 92 and 2005, you had the goal scoring record for a club changing hands. And 1992, it was uh, Liverpool. And 2005, it was Arsenal. So, for the first points, uh, who won, uh, I mean, who took over as record goal scorers for uh, Liverpool and Arsenal on these dates? Ian Rush. Exactly. Ian Rush. Nin- 1992. Yeah. It is Ian Rush who's still the record goal scorer. So, 92 was ninety two was Liverpool and 2005 Arsenal. was yes, Thierry Henry. Yes, was Thierry Henry for Arsenal. Okay. And on a related note, I'll give you the name of the uh, of the Premier League clubs, and you have to tell me the the leading goal scorer for them. So I'll start off with possibly the easiest one. 
Chelsea. Frank Lampard. Yep. Newcastle United. Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer. Shearer. Yep. Everton. All these records are overall uh, goals, and this guy has 383 goals for I'm Everton. Missing someone very obvious. <laughs> would we? Is it? Is it somebody that we would know? No, you would probably not. But this guy has been mentioned recently with respect to Haaland's goal-scoring exploits because his record is one that might probably be a bit too far for him to break. Tumbleweed GIF insert. And it's Dixie Dean who has 383 goals for Everton and his 60 goals in a season is the record which people are thinking that Haaland, that might just be a bridge too far for even Haaland to break. Okay, a uh, couple more. Uh, Man United. Wayne Rooney. This one's got to be easy. Correct. Rooney. And Wayne Rooney has 250 goals. And Man City. Aguero. And it's not Haaland. Huh. Not yet. Aguero? It is Aguero, Aguero with 260 yeah. goals somehow. The Man Still City goal scoring record is bigger than United. Okay. And hmm. then. So. So I think um, on I, it's not it's not an all-time record, but uh, Salah's just seven goals away from Robbie Fowler's Premiership record. So I think sometime this season we'll see at least the Premiership top scorer for Liverpool change hands again. Okay, let's see. Hopefully that'll be good news for my fantasy. Eighteen top over next year. Persisted with Salah. <laughs> <laughs> quiz section about top scorers. Who is the top scorer for Spurs? Kane. Very close, but no. He's eight goals behind someone Gascoigne. else. Gaza, no? no? I think this is... Is it Robbie Keane? No, no. I think Lineker? Oh, Lineker. No, not Lineker. Uh, man, his name is escaping Up me. might get this. He played for Chelsea also. Uh, Correct. Uh, oh, man. His name escapes me. Jimmy? Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves. Floyd? Jimmy Greaves. Yep. Jimmy Greaves. Mm. Yep. Jimmy Greaves with 266. Kane is at 258. So, almost there. Maybe 18th of October next year. Right. Another thing that happened on 18th of October was uh, about a footballer. And this is where we bring in the Theory Henry version of the quiz. So I'll give you clues and you have to guess who this guy is. So when, so first, uh, first clue, when I re-signed for my club, the home attendance jumped up to more than four times the last game. Okay. Second clue. I was an inaugural inductee of the England Football Hall of Fame. Ha. Is it Ronaldo? No. Hi, my name is Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And it's, mind you, it's the England Football Hall of Fame, not the Premier League Hall of Fame which just came out okay, last so it has year. My name is Paul Gascoigne. Okay. Nope. I mean, no negative points in this one. And uh, clue three, I am called the wizard of the dribble and also the magician. All of this sounds like gas coin only, but no. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> clue, yeah. 
clue four, and this 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 might seal the deal. I was the oldest player to play professionally in England's top tier. Ever. Hi, my name is Teddy Sheringham. No. Is it Robbie Fowler? Teddy Sheringham was is. No, no. Teddy Sheringham is What like a, a youngster compared to this guy. Hi, my name is Ryan Giggs. I don't know English Hall of Fame how, but just guessing. Nope, 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 nope. And finally, <laughs> the last clue, and again links back to what we've been talking about in this episode. I was the first winner of the Ballon d'Or. Michael Owen. Michael Owen. First English winner. Oh, first ever winner. What? Yep, yep, yep. Wow. Okay. Tumbleweed GIF insert again. The editor is going to have his hands full <laughs> with these silences. Okay, so this guy played till the age of fifty in the top flight. What? Yep. Is this right. an old, like, really old guy? Nope. He was a winger. So that's what, like, dribbler. And his name is Stanley Matthews, Sir Stanley Matthews, and he was the first ever winner of the Ballon d'Or. And uh, his major club was Stoke, and he was a he was a local guy. He he was a Stoke guy, and uh, he was bought on this date by he was bought back by Stoke on this date uh, in 1961 by paying 3,500 uh, pounds. When he was forty-six years of age. We we really need some old people back in the pod. Some of them are not joining <laughs> lately. <laughs> so, so the last game that uh, before he came back had eight thousand four hundred and nine fans. The game after he arrived, thirty-five thousand nine hundred and seventy-four fans. So he 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 was quite a big deal, and I mean. Uh, I, if I remember correctly, I I remember reading about him when I first got introduced to football, and I had a book which had a foreword by Jimmy Greaves, and Stanley Matthews and Nat Lofthouse are mentioned as the superstars of the 50s, which is why when the US beat uh, England in the 1950 World Cup, it was seen as as a huge huge surprise. Okay, and finally moving on to our talky game to go to, and uh, we're recording midweek, and we have a midweek uh, round of games as well. And uh, coincidentally, by the next time we would have, uh, we would be talking. Uh, United would have played Spurs as well as uh, Chelsea. So obviously, these two games together have to be the talky game to watch out for or go to if you can. Uh, what are we thinking? Where do you, where do we think United are in the progress level? Do you think that uh, they can get six points out of these three, four? It's difficult to predict uh, the points. Uh, the identity is definitely uh, building. There are things that you can see at the same time. You also know that uh, you know there are so many things which are a work in progress. Uh, the uh, our combination play, chance creation in the final third. is one of the things which are work in progress uh, uh like whenever eriksen doesn't play that is the second part where we seem to struggle uh in the ball progression in the middle part of the pitch uh, we have already talked about the wingers so all in all i think the attacking play needs further refinement bruno fernandes has been playing okay but overall uh, compared to his past record 
he's been pretty disappointing uh, in terms of chance creation uh, most of his adventurous passes seem to come from deeper in the pitch and in the final third we don't really see that happening he plays a lot of safe passes so yeah i think i think spurs uh, i think united will take it one game at a time um, um the spurs game I feel we bounce back really well after a setback that happened with the uh, Brentford loss and um that happened with the uh, City loss as well so I, I'm fairly confident with this one um having said that uh, Conte as we know he would set up his team uh, so that so, to, to defend and like so the so the other team um can't really score against them but and he would try to hit hit United on the counter uh, and that's where I fear that we might you know uh, leak in a few goals uh, and i hope that doesn't happen um uh, i agree with rk i think without erickson we did feel like a different team we uh, it almost felt very flat um um the attack wasn't wasn't as fluid as it would have been with erickson erickson on the field uh, so i think um if erickson is back i'm not sure if he is if erickson is back i think we'll we'll probably get get that win uh but if he's not and i think i think we'll we'll probably do well to get a draw without having seen too much of lopol or united this uh, sorry spurs or united this season from the outside uh looking in it feels like a nil nil um but i hope i'm wrong and it's like a nice entertaining draw i would i wouldn't mind a 3-3 or a 4-4 that sounds pretty nice yeah Uh, what do you think about uh, Reece James? Uh, his injury obviously will have a lot of impact on us when we play United. And- yeah, I. It's going to. It's we are going to drop points. So whenever Reece James has missed more than a couple of games at a stretch, which he did two or three times last season, we inevitably end up dropping points. Uh, which was one of the reasons why I said we'll even drop points against Brentford, just like. Aspilicueta is just simply at least four levels behind uh, on overall quality, probably ten levels behind on pace. So the fact that he has to play you now weekend, midweek, weekend again, I think that's just that's probably two two games too many for Aspilicueta right now. So I think uh, I think uh, it's gonna hurt Chelsea badly. Uh, I'm. I think the game with United is at the bridge, if my memory serves. So uh, that I'm more hopeful for than the Brentford one, to be perfectly honest with you. So, so Ab, if um, if Chelsea are going to drop points against Brentford and Brentford uh, one four nil against uh, United, I mean, as per your jinx association laws, where does that put put Chelsea against United? Surely Chelsea will beat United by that logic, right? Uh no! If Chelsea lose to Brentford and Brentford beat United, then Chelsea will also oh, so you're saying that United Brentford beat would Chelsea. beat Chelsea and not like it won't be a draw or anything like that. No, no, I'm fully expecting to lose tomorrow, two nil or something like that. I think United have a better chance against um, Chelsea than they do against Spurs. I think I think they'll be there. May be a case of them being uh, under pressure a little bit um, um, because they're playing at home and. Um, they might need to uh, probably start to dictate the play a little bit more and that might play into spurs's hands um kane of course a little bit of um, he's a tricky guy so if if um, 
um, if people get too tight to him, he might be able to win a few fouls and do a little bit of his shithousery diving. So that's one to watch out for as well, particularly with Lissandro. Um, I think uh, Son, of course, is going to be critical. Son is blowing hot and cold at times. So if he gets that one chance and finishes, I think that could be a typical Spurs result against a big team. Um, against uh, Chelsea, though, uh, all the frailties that we talked about um, uh, in the past, um, like the past week at least, I think United might uh, play the underdog card and play against uh, away from home and have a, have a good chance to hit them on the counter. So that's a good opportunity. I think it'll be a much um, more entertaining game than the Spurs one. So I think there's a good, there's a chance that they can beat Chelsea, but I think Spurs should get the win against United. I, I think I think it comes down to this right between the two games. At at Old Trafford, United are expected to attack against Spurs, and I think they are not that great doing that. And against Chelsea, they like they would be the underdog, and they are very. This team is very comfortable playing on the counter. So that is where things might happen you know um, so you don't know like let, let's see let's see what uh, what united we see over the next two games yeah and uh, we'll interestingly also be looking at our draft league because of course arsenal and city not playing which would have been a top of the table clash uh, midweek uh, so no holland no Odegaard, no Martinelli, no Jesus. Wonder what that's going to do to the fixtures and the matchups. That'll be quite an interesting thing to look out for. That, that, and that the listeners can probably not see, but the, uh, like we all saw Radha's face. He clearly did not change his team <laughs> for, the, for this week. <laughs> this is now the second the second game week in a row. These midweek, we're recording a podcast and the games start at 12.30. Yeah, this is not suitable for my uh, my updating my team. But yeah, I'm going to have a couple of people in my starting lineup who are just going to get like one point off the bench or not play at all. Right. And as we end, uh, just a shout out to the listeners who we've uh, recently found out have been listening to us from uh, across four continents. And that feels amazing to know, to be very honest. I mean, this is something we do on the sidelines of what our rest of the life uh, is as well. So, I mean, pleasantly surprised. And thank you, everyone who's been listening in. Uh, Four continents, 16 countries. uh, We've crossed 350 listens. So, yeah, for a startup pod, not bad. So, thank you and hope you keep listening in the future as well. And we'll try and keep bringing good content for you to listen to and more banter, more rants and bants, as we like to say. On that note, uh, thank you to the panel. It's uh, past midnight in India. So, if you want, you can jump on to Brighton, Nottingham Forest, if that finds you a fancy. Otherwise, uh, have a good night and listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye.